So uh, this is the first episode, y'all, uh, that we're going to try to record and stream both to LinkedIn Live and also YouTube. So buckle up. Here we go. All right. Good afternoon. Good morning. Good evening. Good day to you, good listeners. Uh, this is Raph. Welcome down to Security Rabbit Hole to another edition of the Down to Security Rabbit Hole podcast. Uh, before we get going, a couple of housekeeping items. Um, uh, I'm going to expand our universe on the podcast. I'm going to uh, start streaming to YouTube, uh, to that slightly neglected channel, but I'm going to, I've got about uh, three or so dozen episodes. I'm going to back post. So you'll see those, uh, slowly popping back up. I subscribe to there. It'd be good. Uh, check us out on our LinkedIn page. Uh, we post content. Um, I have interesting things I post on there, uh, alerts and we stream to there obviously. Uh, so you could do that. And, uh, all right. Um, without further ado, James, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. Hoping the uh, hoping the new streaming to multiple sources works out well today. <laughs> Listen, what could technology go is wrong? hard. So yes. yes. <laughs> All right, welcoming back to the podcast to uh, talk about some some intelligency stuff, and mainly just because I haven't talked to him in far too long, and uh, and he survived the uh, the hurricane uh, in his uh, his. Uh, Rancho uh, Gigantico, uh, the man that only needs one name, uh, Sergio. Hey, buddy. Hey, Raph. Hey, man. I'm so glad to be here. I think this is my third, second or third time on your podcast. And uh, yeah, I think it's your. Third. You know, I love, I love coming back because you know you you you're such you know you're so you guys are so much fun to talk to. And I mean, honestly, you're one of the first podcasts on this topic, right? You've been around forever, so. Uh, that makes us old as crap. Uh, and that, you know what, man, sometimes you just have to accept it and embrace that, you know, yeah. identity. So experience, I have, I've, I, I have embraced the fact not that just this, old. Yeah, we've been around. <laughs> We're good. We're all right. It's okay. not old now. It's wi- it's wizened. Right. So uh, you're good. I am perfectly happy with that. Um, listen, the first time we ever had you on, you were talking about the billions and billions of signals y'all get uh, on, uh, uh, when you were part of the Microsofties uh, yep. group, um, and uh, that's that's been a minute. Um, you you've you've changed jobs a few times. You've taken on some uh, very interesting uh, endeavors. Catch us up, dude. Catch us up. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I was I real quick. I was with NSA for uh, almost nine years. I think it was like two months short of my nine year anniversary. Um, and went all over the world with them, had a lot of fun. Um, and then Microsoft was like, hey, we're starting a Threat Intel team. Do you want to come help? And I was like, oh, OK. So I uh, joined Microsoft and helped start up the Microsoft Threat Intelligence Center, Mystic. Um, and uh, yeah, lots of data, petabytes of data. And that was a great time. Enjoy. Still love everybody over there. Um, 
And then, yeah, and then, uh, and then a couple of friends from NSA, Rob and John and Justin, uh, started Dragos. Um, and, you know, I, I just couldn't stop, not take the opportunity to go work with a bunch of friends. Um, and they were like, you know, we want to do, we want to protect critical infrastructure like the U.S. government, you know, really wants to, but can't. Um, right. And I was like, yeah, I'm like, you're right. I, I completely agree. Like we can, the private sector can do something the government can't. And, you know, let's, let's go, let's go help the world. So I was at Dragos for uh, six, you know, six years, um, and then I just recently left Dragos in October, um, and uh, I started the threat intelligence team there, built it for six years. Uh, now a really good, actually old, old colleague of mine and friend, Kurt Gaudet, uh, took my position um, in January, so last month. Um, Kurt is awesome people. Dragos is going to continue to kick butt and... Um, I'm just really proud of everyone over there and still just, I leave friends. I, I hope I leave friends everywhere I go in the industry. Cause I love, I love everybody. So. So what in the world are you doing now? Uh, so, you know, man, I've done 20 years of cybersecurity operations and by oper operations, I mean like no doubt, like day to day fighting, right? Like every day is a fire. Every, you know, everything is, everything's a crisis. And, uh, from national security crises to, you know, internet level crises at Microsoft to, you know, critical infrastructure, like power plants going down at Dragos. Um, after 20 years of that, I am so lucky I got to do all of that and and got to experience all of it. I'm, man, when, you know, in a few years, I'm going to have the best war storybook to, to ever write. Um, but uh, I have to give that one a little bit of time. But, you know, <laughs> I, I really just, I one of the things I love doing is teaching. Um uh, at NSA, I taught um, uh, I taught over five thousand students at NSA. In fact, I I taught almost everybody who knows and does cyber threat intelligence there now. Um, I was their adjunct faculty of the year at NSA, and I loved it. And so I decided I'm going to just take some time and go teach for a little while. Um, after 20 years of doing this, I don't know if I'm ever going to return to operations. Um, but you know, right now, I just it's one of those kind of periods of my life where I needed to transition and and take a step back after a long time of fighting fires and be like, you know, I'm going to let somebody else fight those fires for a little while. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to try to transmit all of this knowledge, you know, that I've built up as much as best I can. So I started the threat intelligence Academy and um, I have uh, the, right now I offer the diamond model course and I, uh, which teaches obviously the diamond model of intrusion analysis. Uh, and then I also have a, a graduate level uh, threat intelligence program. Um, so it's like, I don't know, it's like six months long right now. And I'm not even done building it. Uh, I've been building it for like two years. My students are awesome. Um, they are so patient with me, but I answer all their questions. I give them homework and I still have maybe another month of material left to go in that course. And it's really meant to be, it's like my magnum opus. It's like everything I know about Intel is in like one place. It's just taken me two and a half years to get it all in there. Um, but it's, it's amazing. So it is what I've always wanted to build and I love my students and we're having a good time. So that's what I'm spending my time on right now. That's awesome. Well, Hey, listen, teaching is always a good thing. I remember speaking of which, you know, uh, you, you said, uh, in all kinds of events, we were in, uh, I forget the conference in Carolina, we were having lunch and you get a call and, uh, I think it was your wife that was with us and she's like, yeah, he's going to be gone. Literally you come back yep. and like, candy, gotta go car waiting. It's like, well, that's there goes Sergio. <laughs> I I had to go into some uh, you know un, unnamed buildings up in Washington D.C. for that, and uh, I've had to do that a few times this last year, and I'm I'm kind of done with that, you know, like yeah. uh, playing the spy you've done games, your time, dude. 
yeah, it's playing the spy games is fun. And then you just are like, you just like, okay, I've done this. Like, you know, it's, yeah, it's time to not jump in the, uh, the, the car anymore and, and run off to fight the fight. So it, it, it becomes, yeah, it, it, at that, at some point you've amassed this massive amount of operational knowledge and skill set, And the, you know, you, you start to realize that the best way to serve humanity is to teach somebody else all the things that, you know, because then they can teach somebody else. And then he's passed, you know, collectively pass that knowledge on. Well, no matter awesome, how good man. I am, man, 10, 10 other good people are going to be better than me. So that, you know, well, that's the that, listen, uh, we were, you know, we, we were all, uh, we were all thinking we were the best for a while. And then it turns out that there's going to be, you know, dozens of other people that are better than we are, but that's okay. That's how, that's I how love it works. That. I love that. I love that. We, you know, every day, man, when I teach, I, I always stand on, as they say, right. Stand on the shoulder of giants. I teach my students. I do less preaching about what I know. And I try to bring in more of what other people know. And because, you know, my goal is to, you know, kind of lift the community to that next level so that when I turn around and I'm like, you know what? I used to think attribution was, you know, one no. kind of difficult. And he freezes. I'm here. The, the feed heard NSA and now it's yeah. uh, it's been cut off. <laughs> oh, God, that, I got too that close. That is about the funniest thing I've ever seen. I got too close. <laughs> are you back? There you are. I, I, that I'm was here, awesome. You literally just froze, Sergio. Yeah. So I think that, you know, man, it's just that we... Um, uh, done, I'm done with the spy games and I can't wait to see what the community does next. Um, somebody came to me the other day and is like, hey, have you ever thought about extending or expanding the diamond model? And my answer was no. I, I've, I've had some <laughs> thoughts around it, but honestly, like I don't, I, I've considered it. I've tried a, a, you know, a rewrite based on everything I know now and everything I've learned. And I don't mm -hmm. feel like I can give it the, the value it needs. I feel like it needs another generational leap. Um, for somebody to build on it to to go to go to where it needs to go next. So we are uh, we 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 are we're loving to watching you in in eight bit pixels. Uh, your your connection oh having some struggles. I think I have um, no idea what's going on. I do apologize. I have no idea what's you, happening. You you said some secret things, and then and then those no such places <laughs> were like, oh, can't can't have him talking. Hit the mute button. Hit the mute. Disrupt. That disrupt. Ten, that ten second delay is automatically fuzzing out all the stuff that can't be said. Okay. okay. Are we doing? Are you we know good what? Now? I'm, I'm blaming this all on the Chinese spy balloon. That's I I agree. It's it's the EMP that never happened. Um, <laughs> can you guys see me now? <laughs> nice. Oh man. So, Hey, listen, I, I wanted to ask, because this is kind of an interesting topic. We've, there's been plenty of people that, have, that I've had on the show that we've talked through, um, uh, threat, the concept of threat intelligence. I, I imagine it's changed quite a bit since, you know, uh, your first day at that, at the agency that doesn't exist. Um, you know, in terms of op you know, how it operated both in the physical and, and then, into the cyber realm, like how things talk, talk to me about the main differences I think that you would see, uh, from then till now. Yeah. Well, when I started, it wasn't a thing. Um, obviously <laughs> it was, you know, that's, that's the weird thing I tell people, um, you know, when I was at NSA, when I started at NSA, it was literally two, two guys. Um, and that was, that was the extent of, uh, of the mission. Um, and, and of course, we were going through, you know, the, um, uh, the the reinvestment in Iraq and a whole bunch of other stuff. So there were a lot of priorities on on the list. And um, and so when I got there, they kind of charged me and a, a couple other friends. One of my friends, Brian, who passed last year, unfortunately, who kind of helped me start it too. 
um, you know, they, they were like, hey, we need you to professionalize this. And, and so just, you know, two years into my job at NSA, um, I, I kind of figured out how we do things a little bit. You know, I was kind of figuring out the job. I was kind of like one of the longest people to serve in that position at that point in two years. And um, uh, they were like, now I want you to professionalize this and we're going to hire 500 people to do it. And I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. So, and that's where the Surprise. literally where that, you know, as they say, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. And that's literally where the diamond model came from. It was me and Chris and Andy sitting around being like, how are we going to teach 500 people how to do this job that we are, we really don't know what we're doing. Um, and so uh, we, and, and, you know, it was a presidential level and we had all of this attention on us. So we couldn't get it right. You know, we couldn't, we couldn't, we couldn't get it wrong. And um, I think that's where, you know, which is weird, that's where it started. And one of the weird things is I uh, remember one of my grad advisors, uh, or actually my, my graduate advisor, Deb, uh, Deb Frinke, who was you know, just a brilliant computer scientist, and, and she still goes on to do amazing things. Um, she, uh, she told me, she's like, you know, nobody pays people to track hackers, right? Um, and this is when I was going through grad school because that's what I want. I figured out I wanted to do. And she's like, nobody pays to do this. She's like, you might be able to get some research grants here and there, but she's like, it's not really a job. And um, and at the time, you know, she was like, nobody cares. Like this is everybody. Were you like, to were do you like hold my beer? <laughs> and, well, no. I mean, I, she was right. She, you know, she nobody did it because. Um, nobody cared. Everyone wanted formal analysis of, you know, computing systems, or they were looking for the better antivirus or the better firewall, you know, yeah. and then nobody was tracking or really studying how the adversaries were operating. And so when I got to NSA and they were like, um, I, I even remember my, my day there, uh, it's like six months into my job at NSA. Um, and I saw a presentation by another group, another government group, and they were like, oh, look at this really bad stuff China's doing. And I was like, oh, my God, you guys are doing what I want to do. Um, and, and so I, got it, I jumped over it. I kind of joined them. And I was like, OK, yeah, this is exactly what I wanted to do. So somebody was paying somebody to do it. Um, and, uh, and so that's kind of how it all started. And I think the big thing that's happened over the last 20, uh, 2018, 19, almost 20 years now for that particular issue has been that one, it's been professionalized, which is great, right? We are training and we have some training for people to grow into the space. The other thing that I really like about it is that it's now treated as an actual field of study um, that we recognize as we do in all the other spaces that you can learn from your adversary to do better yourself. And honestly, that is something that for the first 40 years of cyber, if you want to even call it cybersecurity, it wasn't really coined that term at the time. The first 40 years of information security or information assurance didn't care what the bad guys were doing because we thought we could engineer our way out of that box. It was, oh no, if we engineer a computer system just right, you know, if Multics could just work the way we want it to, oh, you know, and all, exactly. We the could, delusion you know, was we would, powerful. We wouldn't have this problem, right? That was the whole kind of mantra, engineer your way to perfection. And we learned, like, you cannot, you cannot engineer a perfect system in an adversarial environment. But it That's was right. for 40 years, we lied to ourselves in information assurance thinking we could. And so what I'm proud of is I've helped grow every, you know, add, I would say, credibility to those okay. of us in the industry who are trying really hard to learn from what our adversaries are doing. I would tell you that... Uh... You know, th that delusion of 40 years hasn't ended. Uh, there are plenty of places 
that are like, we're just going to do all the things and suddenly we're going to be secure. Like, how do we get to secure? And it's not, that's not, it's not a destination. It's not a place you get to. And I, I don't know. I hope we realize that sooner rather than later collectively. I think there's a large collective that has the other words are like, how much do I need to spend to make this thing go away? You're like, well, human nature. So good luck. <laughs> well, uh, you know, in addition to that, right. I mean, there is no hundred percent secure, no matter what you do. So you have to be able to understand yeah. what are the risks around this, you know, and, and that I think adds so much to it of just saying, I can't just focus on the security side of things, but what can't we secure? And what what's the risk? Why do we have risk around that? You don't know that risk unless you know your adversaries. I think James, you just, I think you absolutely hit the, the nail on the head there because one of the big things I saw with the inside the U.S. government, and again, it's weird saying that there were only two people doing this work at, at, at NSA when I, when I got there, given how big we know the scope of the problem is now. Um, but it was me and Brian and, and a goat, basically. And, um, you know, <laughs> we, and, and we were, uh, me and Brian and I, right, we were just like, this is bad. This is really, really bad. And the problem with it is that yeah, exactly what you said, it hadn't hit yet, right? It, it, the, the reality and scope of the risk and impact had not materialized or been communicated effectively to where people started to take it seriously. Um, and, and it's unfortunate that, you know, some of us who do risk analysis for a job, like those of us in this room, you know, we, we, our job is to forecast risk. And, but one of the hardest jobs is not coming up with the risk. It's communicating effectively so that others know and take action on what the, what the risk really is. And that's a hard problem. And, and James, you hit it on the, on the head that we trail a lot more than we are ahead of the problem. Well, I have to say there's a, there's a bit of a, a nuance to in uh, as economy, as economy changes, as geopolitics changes, targets change. Right. And um, there, there's always that criminality element that I don't think that's ever going away. Like people going to criminals going to criminal. It's just what we do. Like it's, that's happened since forever ago, literally. But I think that the part that you were kind of focused on, that you were very interested in, or at least tasked with, is identifying places where we're, we're past that criminal element. We're into yes. like defending a nation state, defending a banking system, uh, you know, a yeah. power grid, uh, human life, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, yeah. I, I'd like to, I'd like to ask, how much of the work back then uh, that you guys did when you started was simply manual, and by that I mean. Like I imagine it was all right. Like you had to write your own scripts. You had to go copy paste a lot. What was the ramp up in automation look? How did that look? Oh my God. I mean, there's certain things I can say. I mean, I, 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 I obviously like, don't get yourself we, in we trouble. No, I'm not going to get, I obviously am not, this is not worth me going to federal prison. I, Raph, I love you a lot, but you're not worth Leavenworth. So, um, you know, the, uh, fair. Yeah, the uh, but you know I, I'm trying to balance it because I I do know I can say certain things here. So one of the things that was really difficult was that you know honestly, um, there those of us who got involved in information assurance were not engineers. Information assurance was not an quote unquote engineering field. Um, it was very mathematical for a long time. Um, honestly, like that's where the basis of it was. Um, and in, in, in from an in, from a pure like 
computer engineering and computer science perspective, um, it wasn't like an engineering part of it. It was a very theoretic part of, of the mission. Um, and so one of the problems we had was that there weren't, there were no tools available. Um, you know, nothing, That's your antivirus system, your, your anti-spam, your firewall, it didn't emit any telemetry right? Way back when, right? I mean, and I even so way back when, that's like 19 years ago, right? Um, it didn't give you anything. It just said, I blocked threats. Congratulations, right? And it, right. it didn't give you any data about what it was doing. Um, and so, or if it did, it was in some stupid thing that nobody could understand or, or recognize or anything like that. And um, honestly, when I started, I was, uh, this is really weird. Um, my, my, my daughter, who's my daughter, who's uh, turning, uh, she's going into sixth grade and she's learning base numbers now, right? So other than base 10, right? And she's like, oh, well, why would you ever count in base eight? And I'm like, oh, I can tell you when, or why would you ever count in base, <laughs> you know, base 12 or base 16 or base two? I'm like, I can give you examples of why we would do these things, right? And um and we still continue to do those things. Um, I used to hand decode hex packets because that's how they were given to me because the systems were not digital. They were collecting, they were monitoring digital environments, but they were not digital collection systems. And so that what they would do is they would just dump all the packets to plain text and I would have to go through and I'd have to hand decode packets. Um, and so I learned very quickly how to decode hex and how IP packets like TCP, I got no problem with any of that. Um, I learned how to wow. protocol decode super easy, um, but because I had to, it, the only way I could get to the data was to unravel this onion, right, of, of stuff. So that's where I started. Um, you know, we had some very basic things that used to be called ethereal. Right now it's called, of course, you know, Wireshark. Um, you know, we had some very man. basic pa pa packet processors uh, at the time, but not a lot, right? I mean, mostly it was TCP dump. Um, you know, you dump that to a file, you could, you know, maybe cat some of that stuff out. You could obviously run, you know, some, some base 64 decode or base 16 decode out of it, um, and kind of get something, but it was completely manual. I was hand jamming packets, attack packets from very early on. Um, and not only that, but we had zero knowledge systems for any of this, right? Nobody was blogging about this. Nobody was writing about this. Nobody, you know, yeah. no, there was nothing to talk about how, what was happening. And honestly, it didn't come for about two years until about 20, it was about 20, uh, maybe 13, no, not, not 2013, maybe 2000, and um, that was a whole different thing, uh, maybe 2007, um, where we started, that's where, that's where cybersecurity packet processing, I think, got much better. Um, and we started actually being able to decode packets effectively for the purpose of analyzing you know, security issues. Right? We were able to always decode packets, but it was always for things like, is my BGP working? Is WAN, is my WAN operational? You know, it was never, it was never security telemetry. So um, we first got our real first tools, I would say that actually did something useful for us back in 20, 2008, 2009. Um, knowledge really started dropping in 2013. So that's when actually people started writing about this stuff. Um, so most of the stuff was kept in very closed channels, defense contractors and, um, you know, some companies and things like that. I would say that the real manifestation of it all was about 2015, um, was where we actually had a confluence of tools and capabilities. And that was really because the money started flowing, 
um, was about 2014 and 2015. Um, money started flowing into the space and then we actually were able to engineer our way out of the box uh, and, and get there. You're on mute, Raph. <laughs> Computers are hard. So I, I, what I'm saying is that's that is just not that long ago. Like I want to, yeah. like in my head, we're we're all you know sneakers old timers, and uh, and it's just not that long ago that this stuff was all fundamentally brand new, and the world was uh, scary. Um, How much man, of that packet now matters? I think Rav, because what you're saying, right? The packet analysis and people knowing hex and decoding that. We have tools that do that now. How much of that, like if you're walking into the industry today, do people have to actually know? Like, Absolutely I mean, not. Do people know that anymore? I mean, is it required that you learn those fundamentals? Like do you, in your training, do you require people to like, listen, day one, you have to learn how to do all this by hand. And then I'm going to yeah. show you the easy way to do it by using these tools. No, so I don't do that because it's a part of a job because it's not anymore. And I'm so glad it is because we could never scale with um, that. Right? Yeah. And, you know, certain knowledge goes by the wayside. Like very few people know how to plow with hand tools anymore, right? It's, you know, th things just kind of go, things that don't aren't necessary. They, our brains only can take so much. We have to kind of let old things go. Um, I do teach people packet analysis. And the reason I teach it, though, is not because I, I want them to do it. In fact, I hope they don't. Um, but what I do is I, I usually go through like TCP IP is a very basic one. And I have them rip it apart by hand. And then I have them compare it against the RFP. And I ask, I start asking them, well, what if that field wasn't that value? Right. And what if we changed this in the packet um, to show people that the fundamentals of the data still change the computing device that it's on and if and that you actually have to think through that chain of events and that it starts with the packet at the binary level at the hex level and then that's where the chain event occurs so if you want to see something in the web server oh man oh he killed he he ejected himself <laughs> oh that was he so must, so good too he crossed his line that's what happened he crossed his Don't, line and then his internet and just they said down. no more <laughs> he'll come back <laughs> I do find that interesting. This is super interesting, man. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to think, you know, because we see this in different topics as well, you know, where it's like, oh, well, people don't have the same skill sets that, that we had 20 years ago because they don't do this stuff, right? Like, I, I think on our 500th episode, you know, we discussed, you know, there are a lot of people out there in security, like AppSec, for instance, that maybe don't understand how TCP IP works and stuff. And it's like, but for the same thing that Sergio was just saying, for most of what's going on, they don't have to understand at that level what's going on, you know? And so it's interesting to think about, like some of the skills that people had before we had these tools, you know, yeah, but that's not really as important. I mean, I don't push when I'm teaching AppSec stuff, you know, really low level socket level stuff, because that's not a majority of what people are dealing with. You know, it's great that you could use it to troubleshoot, but it's not necessarily i, I feel like if you don't have that knowledge though you're missing like the thing that this this all this other knowledge is built upon and you might not have to i mean you, you don't have to you know necessarily like look not 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 too many of us are uh remember uh you know writing uh writing machine code right actually writing machine code uh or learning it for that matter man i, I learned c i was no good at pretty much anything else uh, I, I can guarantee you that um but 
like the things that I did learn, they fundamentally helped me understand computers and like what a buffer overflow is and why that's relevant, right? And like the the, the basics of hiding things inside of packets, uh, like, oh, it's a DNS packet. You're like, yeah, but have you looked inside? Have you seen the structure and, you know, some of the other stuff? And uh, yeah, oh, here he comes. Oh, and we're back. back. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, guys. I First really warning. <laughs> I got gigabit internet here. I don't know what the problem is. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I, I told you, man, that 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 uh, that spy balloon was like, that's enough. It's done. It's done. Internet in, 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 in the U.S. is over. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think I think packet processing is a skill I teach and I don't really teach it to learn the skill. I should say I teach it to learn the process of understanding the whole spectrum and breadth of attacks. So. Um, that that's kind of where I, tar- I target that knowledge. So, uh, so, uh, by the way, uh, uh, one of, one of our live listeners here is, uh, is somebody you probably know, Mr. Jim Tiller, uh, who's on hey, our, yeah, our Jim, next episode, ironically, uh, he actually says, uh, he wanted to ask you, why has it taken so long for threats to be used as the basis for cybersecurity programs and strategy? Oh God. I love those I think questions. it gets, I think, I think James is more predestined about that than I am. I mean, like he, he mentioned it perfectly. Um, and, and that is that humans are super lazy creatures and we can say that in both good terms and bad terms that maybe we could, yeah, but we use the term efficient, um, and that it takes a long time for people to, uh, figure out what they actually have to do. Um, and I think that we are, uh, I think we're in this space where we are figuring it out as we go. And I think James is right in that it takes a lot of pain to turn that boat. And I think it's mm-hmm. just an unfortunate byproduct of human nature um yeah i mean you you know i mean relate that to human beings right i mean how long before you eat you know not the right stuff until you finally get to the point you go visit the doctor and they're like hey you got high cholesterol you got this it's like yeah so you say but i don't really feel any of that (laughs) you know and like how many people make that change before they get to the point of okay i feel that pain of this isn't working for me. You know, I think that's very similar to what we see from a security perspective. How many or how, how long have we been saying, you know, that companies just like, oh, well, you know, I'm too little. They're not going to target me or, you know, anything like that. We've got tons of excuses of why that's not something that I have to handle. Yeah, no, I, I wish. And of course, those of us who have been doing this for a while wish that wasn't the case. Um, but you know, it, it really is that I've been right about things and I've been wrong about things, risks in my career. Things I thought were going to be bad didn't end up being bad. And I think it just continues to show the answer that nobody holds a crystal ball. Um, and, you know, we kind of just take it as we get it. Um, so I agree. I wish this was different, but we just have to live with the world we have. Hey, do you teach uh, TCVIP subnetting still? Is that I do. Something? All right. Yeah, I, I, again, I figured, that's, uh, I figured because, that's one of those things that you got to know, right? Yeah, and it is because you can um, uh, you can attack things, right? Like you can still attack routers, and you can still attack hubs and switches. Um, yeah. And you know, if you want to understand switch-based man in the middle, right? I mean, you know, you you still need to understand that. And um, and I always like to tell my students, I'm like, you may not see this attack now, right? This attack, you know, um, is you know, like Smurf attacks and stuff like that, like the old oh, school TCP attacks, right? <laughs> Land um, attacks. Yeah, ping, ping of death, right? All that. So, although, you know, luckily Microsoft brought that back back in 2008, right? So, but what I always <laughs> tell people is, you know, what is old is new again. Like the number of variations of attack are actually really small. 
Um, or I'm sorry, the number of fundamental attacks are actually very small. The number of variations of those attacks are large. And so if you can understand the small number of fundamental types of attack, even I, I teach people attacks from the 80s, from the 90s, because you're just seeing variations of it just in different ways. And I think that's absolutely critical to how you grow as an analyst is recognizing the past so that you know what not to do again. You're like, oh, well, this didn't work, so we should probably try something different. Well, look, part... I, I um, to, to maybe pull on your experience a little bit. I I, I saw the the birth and the uh, explosive growth of threat intel platforms. Um, yeah, about thirteen fourteen, right? Twenty thirteen fourteen. Yeah. Like everybody had one. Um, there were like four major competitors. Uh, they were decent. They were just depending what they what you wanted what the use case was. Where where was the success or uh, challenge of that uh, industry or that market segment? Because it has changed quite a bit. Yep. And I think it's evolved. Yep. But I think it's evolved based on um, utility of it, ver- like the yep. reality of the utility versus the like what we thought. Yeah. Um, I think that one issue is intelligence is not a data stream. Um, and I think a lot of people, especially people who build tools, uh, people who build fundamental APIs and things like that, they love to treat everything like a data stream. Um, it's just yeah. an input to another output, right? Or it's just an output to another input, right? And, and all of that. And, the re- and, the, and, and so you cannot treat intelligence that way because it has to be contextualized or recontextualized for every decision that you make. Um, you can't just throw threats on a big, as we all know, throw throw threats on a big board and be like, oh, look, we have situational awareness. We know how many times that's failed. Um, you know, so it's because knowledge has to be contextualized. Just because I what I know, what, just because I know what, as get to James's point, just because I know what that there are dangerous mushrooms in the world doesn't mean I can look at any one mushroom and know is that dangerous for me or not. Yeah. So again, knowledge has to be contextualized. Um, and so I think the issue comes down to that um, threat intelligence was thought of as another data stream into a broader CSO or CISO picture. And they ended up learning it's not um, and that you can't treat it that way. And it's a little bit more challenging than I think what everyone expected it to be. The problem that I have, though, with way things have ch- kind of changed is it has dramatically reduced the investment in the tools for intelligence analysts. So the the tools that we were getting that were actually addressing our need to help us get to a better approach have kind of dried up. And because the investment has shifted, because they didn't see the large enough market. And Mm -hmm. I think that is a, we see some niche tools now, but there aren't any that are really solving the fundamental use cases. Well, it was interesting when that that market grew out because they, I mean, look, it was built towards like that kind of tool set where that, that tried to treat, I mean, some tried to treat everything, right, as a as a feed, right, your threat intelligence feed. And that was quickly uh, yep. scathingly rebuked, uh, let's say. And But then these platforms started growing up around intelligence sharing, uh, to taking it out of like mailing lists and, and, and listservs and, and IRC chats and into something meaningful. Um, but they were built for big companies. Like, yep. you know, it was for the Fortune, what, 250 maybe plus government? I mean, yep. yes, that's a massive opportunity space, but once you've largely filled that, 
you can't that's a that's not something that goes down market well because the average sock will like what do I do with this? It's not it's not it's not immediately actionable. And that's where I think the like it's like staring, you know, like marketing was like, this is gonna be awesome. And on the other side of the Grand Canyon, the user's like, Yeah, but how? Like, tell me how I go from this thing you're doing to this thing I've got, like this big space in between, what happens here? Yeah. No, it's absolutely right, man. I think that, that that's a frustration I have with our entire sector. We design everything for the Fortune 100, really, right? I mean, yeah. it, it does it does grow into the 250, maybe the 500. Really, we're designing most things for the Fortune 100. And the the challenge, though, is in the, we will never scale cybersecurity to every business that needs it. It's just not happening. Right. We know that now. So, and I think that's the struggle we're all getting to is what does that mean for everybody else? Um, what does that mean for the rural hospital, for the rural hospital, right? Um, yeah. You know, what, what does it mean for the underfunded, you know, places that do need support? Um, you know, where I think most people are trying to march down the MSSP or the, you know, MD, you know, managed defense and response, MDR kind of routes, yeah. things like that. I think that has a lot of potential. Um, I think the price points are killing people, though. I think we're we're still not at a scale of economy. I think everyone is still trying to make their multi-billion-dollar company that they're keeping out most of the people. They're gatekeeping most of the people that actually need well, the support. Look, the reason uh, I, I think you're spot on with uh, I live in I've lived in that world. I'm back into it from a provider from a technology provider to that space now. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I'll tell you, the the barrier to entry is in that is 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 cost. But the reason for that cost is because we're still dependent on the human analyst yep. and the person sitting in that seat. And unfortunately, those that have figured out that um, that that's a barrier and we need to try to automate, they're now going through the struggles we sort of went through 15, 20 years ago. We're like, all right, how do we mechanize? the next layer of next evolution of security technology isn't like bad IP address block, right? Yeah. There's, that's not what Intel is. The Intel is, you know, uh, TTPs, there's intent, there's various tool sets. There's, Hey, if you see something that looks like this, it could be this, or it could be nothing. Yeah. You should then do these five steps and investigate. Like, like that is not like, you can't do that from a SIM. You're not going to, there's not a blacklist you can implement that'll magically make things go away. I feel like the combination of, and ultimately where your body of work will end up at some point, uh, hopefully within all our lifetimes, is that we separate uh, the kind of intelligence, the kind of knowledge into two streams. One, that's the, um, you know, that that's the, uh, that's the immediately, immediately actionable. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, I think that one is needed. Um, that one you get, you go into uh, and and you immediately say, okay, like if I see this, it, it's bad. It you, you should completely just like ignore it, block it, blacklist it, turn it off, whatever. Right? That's the um, like like that's the folks. That, I'll, just a shout out to the folks. Hey, Phil, uh, Philip at the Philippe at the CrowdSec. Like that's what they do. You got you got a feed of bad things like. The community has seen this, told you these are bad. If you see this in your yeah. environment, just stop it, stop it, kill it, block it, done. No exactly. thought about it. And then there's like the other stuff where it's like, well, this requires thought. 
This requires a now careful thought and analysis in a way that isn't an obvious if then. And that, and I think of all the, of of all the absolutely absurd, you know, ML AI references, I think this is where we had Dr. Sven Crosser on from CrowdStrike where we talk about that's where the possibility space I think starts to lie. What do you think of that? I think it's right. I think uh, you, the the fundamental value of AI and ML, um, they are not the same, by the way. So I don't I, I'm, I'm putting them together in this sentence because some people will recognize the terms, but um, uh, it's fundamentally machine learning is what I'm going to be uh, talking about here. Um, algorithms. Yes. It, yeah. Algorithms. They are algorithms, um, but mostly they're predictive algorithms, which is a slightly right. different cl- classification, right, rather than rather than kind of like uh, deterministic, they're more indeterministic algorithms. Um, and the, I think the answer is that, the, you know, the best human use case we have discovered for ML has been just classification. Um, yeah. And so, you know, and it's not classification in that it tells you what to do. It's classification in that it helps you rank stack what should be done or what you need to look at. It isn't the answer of block this, accept this, block this, accept this. It's more of, hey, I let these things through, but these three things may not be the right thing. Um, yeah. That is a, a very good use case that greatly increases the efficiency of humans. Um, and, and I would say that that's going to be an area where we can absolutely take advantage um, of that type of learning system to, to, make, to make advances. Interesting. All right. So uh, we're at 40 minutes. I, I promise you 30 to 35. Oops, I lied. Uh, you're interesting. We're just I'm here for you, so Ralph. Couple, so whatever couple, you need, man, I'm good. Couple, couple more things. Where, give, give me a shake of the magic eight ball in another, another, I'd say maybe not generation, but another generation of analysts. Where are they taking this? Like where's the state of the art in another, and it's 2023. Give me yeah. 2030. Where are we? What, what are we so, trying to tr- trend towards? The big thing that I see is a massive change in policy. Um, and I don't say those words well, because a lot of people are like policy, bleh, you know, and, and I do too, right? A lot of policy is that, um, you know, and, um, you know, and, and I think people, I think people have, you know, there, there are legitimate criticisms of what people have tried to do with policy, um, you know, or o- tried to overdo with policy. And I think that that's, that's, that's an accurate criticism. Um, but the fact is that policy, the problem with most people don't understand is policy happens whether you want it or not, right? You can, you, you'll have implicit policy, even if it's not, you know, something you know. Um, and, and I think that's one of the challenges people have to accept is we live in a world of policy. It, you know, whether you call it rules or you call it, you know, whatever, best practices or whatever, they're basically just policies that you use to, to guide action. Um, the biggest thing that's going to happen is over the next, I even say it's over the next five years you're going to see a massive change in internet policy. And by internet, I mean international policy around cooperation, around how we deal with cyber criminals, how we deal with states who are doing things with other states. And this gets right back, as I could go right back to James's point, it's because the amount of pain that we're feeling, and I know this by talking to a lot of international lawyers, which is something I work on on the side with a bunch of folks on at the UN with Interpol and stuff like that. Um, 
the amount of pain a lot of states are feeling, and by states, I mean all of their industries and economies and stuff, based because of cybercrime, is getting to the point where it's going to be a point of no return. They're going to be like, no, we got to get this under control. It's just like terrorism. Eventually, everyone's going to be like, nope, this is going to end. Like, we got to take control of this. And there are going to be a set of policies and norms that are going to develop, I believe, over the five, over the next five years that are going to start getting implemented over the next 10 years. Um, and I think that for us who are working in this space, we're going to see a whole bunch of changes. I think we're going to be seeing new standards. We're going to be seeing new laws like HIPAA, you know, and GDPR, but but even bigger and even more. I mean, we're seeing right now there's there's changes happening over in NERC and over in the you know critical infrastructure sectors that are really starting to get you know very, become very different because of what they're seeing with Russia and Ukraine. And they're like, mm-hmm. oh well, we can't Fair. do what we used to do anymore. Things have to change. And I think that we're going to get to that point that James is mentioning that things are going to hurt bad enough that that it's actually going to cause a massive issue and it's going to call, it's going to change our work. Our work is going to become more important for national policy, more important for business policy um, and more important for, to create what I call a just internet, right? Uh, That our work in uncovering and understanding bad stuff is going to become critical to understanding how people can operate on the internet. Like I say, without fear, right? So that people can do banking online without worrying about their stuff being stolen. How people can, you know, uh, talk to their friends without worrying about China, seeing what they're talking about. How do you live in an internet without fear? Because that's what we have right now, right? And I think that those norms are going to develop and we're going to start seeing implementations that are going to move us away from where we're at right now, which is actually a very fearful place on the internet, right? I just teach my kids to be scared of the internet, really, right? That's all my education is to my kids. They're like, Roblox is great. And what do I say? I'm like, you better not talk to people you don't know on the internet, right? Like, so we got to get that. We are living in a state of fear. Same spot here. Yep. And we got to get to a place where we're not anymore. And I think that's what's really going to change for us in the cybersecurity community. Let let me ask you this real quick before Raph wraps this up, because based on that topic, though, when we talk about the training side of things and we talk about all these people getting into cybersecurity and, you know, we have all these shortages and, all this stuff, the stuff that we're training people today, are we building them up for what's coming in five to 10 years? No. Or are we just adding a whole bunch of people to the resource list that are going to be behind the curb when we get there and say, okay, well, now all of a sudden we need to retrain everybody yeah. in this stuff. Yeah, do we, we have are. the ability to foresee what this stuff is no. to be able to start training now for it or no? I love that question, James. That's is that's very very good. Um, the the answer is we're training firefighters when really we need to be putting in we need to be putting money into fire science, right? Um, and that's we need to we need, we need to put fewer people into digging trenches and more people into being able to predict where the fires are going to go and build risk maps as to what's going to potentially happen and to build pre- some amount of predictive actuarial science around cybersecurity. Um, and, and it's not going to be perfect, just like actuar- actuarials are not perfect, but we got to get to that point better. And I feel like what we are doing now is building more incident responders because we are currently under the gun than we are building people who understand how to control the guns that are that, that are in existence. Right. We're, we're, we're fighting the symptoms. We're not fighting the root cause. 100%. Yeah. Well, and look, I, I think as, you know... <laughs> Not to not to put this in a bad light, but it, it's that's where the sexy jobs are. That's where the cool stuff is, right? Everybody wants to be a secret agent. Nobody wants to be the policy guy behind the desk. When really, that's what the difference between a safe world and one that's constantly on fire is, right? 
exactly. I'm going to end this by saying, so, so Greg is watching us and he put a comment that said, scope first, then re reporting requirements to gather data after that compliance requirements and finally enforcement. That is, yep. that is the usual pattern. Um, that is. I, I just hope that we get to a place where um, we, we need less firefighters and, and because we've gotten ahead of ourselves. Now I say that, uh, but in the 25 years I've been doing this, uh, we haven't moved. It's, it's, it's the Paula Abdul, uh, you know, song and take two steps forwards and I take nine steps back. Yeah. Um, it, it's just, it, I don't, it doesn't go like, like that, Ralph, better. but I get what you're saying. So yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, my memory of the song's not so good, but, um, anyway, it's like, it, it just, as we get closer to like when we had, so my parting thought, we had technology, like single office and a T1 and a firewall and a, maybe even a, you know, a packet filtering router. I could enforce right there on that edge device. It'd be like right there. Yeah. We got it almost under control and the internet changed. <laughs> and then we almost got that under control and then cloud compute came. We're like, well, <laughs> what the hell? Yep. So I think I, I, we've got to get ahead of it. Um, yeah. yeah there's mine. a whole uh, field though, right? It's, it's failure analysis, failure engineering. And part of yeah. what we do in those spaces is we uh, learn to engineer in an adversarial environment. And it's something that uh, we got to pick up on our side. That's, that's a good, that's a good thought. All right, man, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for spending so much time with us and don't be a stranger now. Uh, Ralph, James, love you both. Well, thank you so much for the time. I, I appreciate that the EMP did not cut us off a second time. That was nice. Uh, <laughs> hey, you, uh, you've got the, you've got livestock on the farm, right? I do. I have a bunch of chickens. And in fact, we are going to be planting 25 blueberry plants. I just planted 20 pineapples. I have 40 or 40 trees in my orchard currently. Um, so it's not a homestead. It's just kind of more of a hobby farm, but uh, it's something I'm getting into a little bit more. And it's not because I'm worried about the world ending. It's just that I like having things that grow around me. So, yeah, my, my brother got into uh, beekeeping and he's got chickens and such. Oh, and uh, yeah, yeah I, I like eating all those things. Uh, not the bees, the honey. <laughs> um, but, you know. <laughs> I know. But and my uh, wife's like, I really want to keep bees. And I'm like, you know, you're allergic to them, right? And she's like, oh, yeah, about that. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yikes. Well, bud, all the best in what you're going to be working on. Um, put your Thank you. put your talents to, to multiplying that uh, that knowledge base. I, I we really appreciate it. And uh, Sergio, thank you so much for your time, man. It's been awesome. Thank you all so much. Have a great day. All right. Folks, thanks for listening and watching this down the Security Rabbit Hole podcast. Uh, those of you guys that watch on the live stream, awesome. Thank you so much. That was a great interaction. I appreciate you. Uh, we are on LinkedIn, uh, Down the Security Rabbit Hole podcast. We are on, uh, on on YouTube, if you check the ID3 tag of the podcasts out there. Uh, the next episode uh, will be with the incomparable, the one and only, that's you, Jim, Jim Tiller. And we're going to talk about VCSOs. So, yeah, because that is like another term, like threat intelligence. What is it? Everything you want. Like I'll shovel your, you know, shovel your snow, uh, you know, walk your dog and design your security policy all in one, all in one cell. But uh, all right, that's it for now. We'll catch you guys another time, another place on another Down the Security Rabbit Hole podcast. Ciao, y'all. As we fade out on another Down the Security Rabbit Hole episode, we'd like to encourage you to chat with our hosts and guests using the Twitter hashtag pound DTSR. 
please check out the show notes, catch up on any episodes you may have missed, and subscribe so you don't miss a future episode. So on behalf of Rafal, James, for now it's goodbye. We'll see you soon on another Down the Security Rabbit Hole podcast. Thank you.